0: Foundations of our faith, and that is duty. Uh, Duty. Tonight I want to talk a little bit about duty. Uh, This evening, uh, I I want to discuss our duty as believers. Now, the definition of the word duty is that to which a person is bound by any natural, moral, or legal obligation to pay, do, or perform. Now, I do not want to suggest tonight that we are bound to do things in order that we might obtain eternal life. Uh, I do not believe, nor do I teach, a works-based salvation. So that's not, when I talk about duty tonight, that is not what we're discussing. I'm not talking about working and doing things in order that we might obtain or gain favor with God. Uh, Do not suppose for even one moment tonight that you or I could possibly produce any works that would, that would warrant eternal life. Uh, in fact, the works that we perform in our flesh uh, by our own power are filthy and putrefying to the Lord. In Isaiah chapter 64 and verse 6, we read, But we are all as an unclean thing and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags and we all do fade as a leaf and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away so as 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 men in our, in our own under our own uh, uh, power any work we could offer god is is certainly not going to be acceptable to the lord in any capacity Uh, Now, once we are saved, the works that we do in the name of Christ become acceptable to the Lord. But uh, when I talk about duty here, I'm not talking about uh, an obligation we have in order that we might gain eternal life. Notwithstanding, we must remember tonight that we are commanded in Scripture to walk worthy of the Lord. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1, Paul states, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. Again in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 10, Paul writes, That ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. And then, third time in First Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 12, Paul writes that ye would walk worthy of God who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory. So while we understand that there is nothing that we can do that would be worthy to be offered as payment to God for his grace, we also understand that we are obligated to walk and that word walk means to live in such a manner as to honor and glorify our Lord. Now this being true, uh, and, and, and the fact that we do have duties as believers, what are our duties? I'd like to take the time that I have tonight and share some thoughts with you as to... Um, not, certainly this, again, this list is not exhaustive. Uh, quite frankly, to teach this lesson effectively would probably take six or seven or eight lessons to get to, to be able to properly develop all of the information we're going to talk about tonight. So I'm just going to slap it as we drive by and you're going to have to do the work, okay? You're going to have to go home and take these points that I give you in these scriptures and you're going to have to you're going to have to dig into them and you're going to have to develop them and allow the Holy Spirit to teach you. In the time I have tonight, we, we, it's almost like, I hate to use the terminology, but drive-by shootings. You know, we just got to run right on through tonight. So, what, what are some of the duties that we have as a Christian? I'm going to highlight three tonight. Number one, we have a duty to love. Every one of us, as God's children tonight, we have a duty to love. Now, this sounds real simple. Sounds real basic, Right? But it, it's a very difficult thing for a lot of Christians to do. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 31 and 32, Paul writes, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. You, I love these two verses. It's, these are verses I, I remind my students in school of often. We are we are to be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. We're we're to have love in our in our life as God's children. Uh, we have we as God's children have experienced the greatest love that has ever been, and we are to exhibit love in our lives. God has admonished us to love all men. But do you realize tonight that some people are not too easy to love? Huh? Sometimes people aren't so easy to love. Uh, To be kind and loving to those that are the same to you, however, is no accomplishment at all. I mean, if we're nice to people that are nice to us, uh, that's no big deal. Matter of fact, Jesus said in Scripture that even the publicans... The thieving tax collectors, he said. Even they know how to do that. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 46 and 47, we read, For if ye love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same? And if ye salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans so? So, in other words, how have we proven that the children of God are any different than the world when we only love those that love us. But when we love the way Jesus loves us, unconditionally, sacrificially, and eternally, then we show the world how the love of Christ makes us different. And Jesus stated in John chapter 13 and verse 35, he said, By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. And that's because by nature the world does not love. By nature the world is hateful and jealous and 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 spiteful. So when we can exhibit love in this world, we we show forth the love of Christ and it is it becomes evident to people that there is something different about us. So we have a duty to love. But who should we love? Well, let me share a few thoughts with you there. First of all, love your neighbors. We all know these things. I'm, again, tonight, I'm not teaching you anything new. I'm just going to remind you of a few things that we, we tend to forget from time to time. In Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 18, we read, "Thou shalt not avenge nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people, but thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I am the Lord." Now who is our neighbor? This has to be determined. If we are commanded to love our neighbors, then we have to know who our neighbors are. So who is our neighbor? Well, modern dictionaries will refer to a neighbor as a person who lives or is located near another. It will also give you the definition of a nearby object of the same kind. All of our modern, newer dictionaries that you find today, these are the definitions they give for neighbor. However, there is an obscure definition to this word. You'll only find it in very, very old dictionaries. And this definition is the meaning used in the scripture to refer to a neighbor. And the the very old and obscure definition for neighbor is this. One of the human race. I like that. By the way, that's found in Noah Webster's uh, editions of the dictionary, the very old ones. By the way, those of you who are computer-minded, if you have ESWORD, you can download the Webster module, and you can have the the old dictionaries, and, and this is where I often find many of these meaningful definitions. One of the human race. But not only that, it also states anyone that needs our help. Or to whom we have an opportunity of doing good. Isn't that some beautiful definitions of neighbor? One of the human race. Anyone that needs our help or anyone to whom we have an opportunity of doing good. Now, this definition completely satisfies the intent of the scriptures. In fact, to illustrate the meaning of the word neighbor, Jesus shared a parable with his disciples. So let's let Jesus teach us this point. Let's turn to Luke chapter 10 together. Everybody turn to Luke chapter 10. And this is a story you'll you'll know and all the children will know. It's the story of the good Samaritan. Luke chapter 10. And we'll begin reading at verse 30. And when he saw him, he had compassion on him, and went to him, and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And on the morrow, when he departed, he took out two pence, and gave them to the host, and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. Now look at verse 36. Jesus asks the question. Which now of these three thinkest thou? was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves. And in verse 37, they answered, he that showed mercy on him. And Jesus said unto him, Go, and do thou likewise. Well, I'm done with this point. There's there's nothing more that needs to be said, is there? Jesus just defined neighbor for us. We don't, we don't have to wonder who our neighbor is anymore. Jesus made it as plain as the nose on your face. In short, you and I have a duty to love every man, every woman, and every child on this planet. Amen? That's what his word says. Make sure, by the way, um, you get this right tonight. Are, are, are you harboring bitterness toward anyone tonight? Is there anyone in this world that, that you would say, I don't love them? Well, we're, it's our duty. We're, we're commanded by the Lord to love. It's our duty to love. And, and, and we're to love our neighbor, and our neighbor is everyone. Everyone is our neighbor. Now, again, some people aren't easy to like. And I've said before, you don't have to like someone in order to love them. You can show someone love and compassion without liking them. I, I've told the story of the time I slammed my father's fingers in the trunk. And uh, uh, he, he he was had his hands in there and we couldn't find the key. And my brother was running around trying to find the key and I was running around trying to find a hiding place because I'm the one that had slammed the trunk shut. And after dad got his hand out of the trunk and he got his fingers all bandaged up, mama bandaged up all his fingers, he came in. I was hiding in the corner of my bedroom and he, he sat down in my bed. He said, son, come here. And I went up to him, he said, now look, son, I love you. He said, I don't like you very much right now, but I do love you. <laughs> so we can, we can love someone without liking them a whole lot, but they deserve, they should be treated right, amen? Uh, maybe, maybe someone rubs us the wrong way, or we don't, we don't get along with them as well as we like to, but there's no reason why we should be bitter toward them, or hateful to them, or hurtful to them, or try to slander them, or try to harm them in any way. We're to love them. So let's get this right. Um, Love your neighbors. Secondly, who are we to love? We're to love our enemies. Jesus commanded us to love your enemies in Matthew chapter 5, verses 44 and 45. But I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. That ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven, for he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. Now the definition of the word enemy is a foe, an adversary, one who hates another and wishes him injury, or attempts to do him injury, to gratify his own malice or ill will. Well, once again tonight I'm gonna I'm gonna let the scriptures do the teaching. And and we're going to look at an illustration of this very thing. Let's turn to 1 Samuel chapter 18, please. Now, as we're turning there, I'll preface this story. In 1 Samuel chapter 18, uh, David is returning from the slaughter of the Philistines. We talked about this on Father's Day as he faced the giant Goliath. And, and now that the battle is over and, and all the... All the war stories are coming home, and the great valor of David is being told to all the all the people. Uh, we see David returning, and King Saul is in his palace, and he's happy because the, his enemy has been defeated, and and he has he has great victory. But let's look at at verse number six in in one Samuel chapter eighteen. And it came to pass as they came when David was returned from the slaughter of the Philistine, that the women came out. Of all cities of Israel, singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tabrets, with joy, and with instruments of music. Now he liked that, okay? Saul liked the fact that as he was returning into the city, everyone was running out and, and, and they, were, they were singing. The ladies were all singing and dancing. And, oh, King Saul, yeah. Okay, but then things happened to change that whole mood a little bit. Look at verse 7. And the women answered one another as they played and said, Saul hath slain his thousands. And Saul goes, yeah. Then they say, and David his ten thousands. Uh Uh-oh. And in verse 8, we read, Saul was very wroth. And the saying displeased him. And he said, they have ascribed unto David ten thousands. And to me they have ascribed but thousands. And what can he have more but the kingdom? The king says he's got the adoration of the people. The only thing left for him to take now is my throne. Verse 9. And Saul eyed David from that day and forward. And it came to pass on the morrow that the evil spirit from God came upon Saul. And he prophesied in the midst of the house. And David played with with his hand as at other times. And there was a javelin or a spear in Saul's hand. And Saul cast the javelin for he said I will smite David even to the wall with it. And David avoided out of his presence twice. Now we see here that from this time forward, Saul sought to take the life of David. And this perfectly matches the definition we gave of an enemy. One who seeks to do harm to another. So David had an enemy, and his enemy was Saul. David was driven from his home. He was driven from his family, from his nation, uh, because of the hatred of Saul. Yet I want to show you how David handled this situation. I want you to turn with me now to 1 Samuel chapter 24. Let's go to, verse, to chapter 24. And we'll begin reading at verse 1. And it came to pass when Saul was returned from following the Philistines that it was told him, saying, Behold, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all Israel and went to seek David and his men upon the rocks of the wild goats. He's, he's gone him down to kill him. His hatred for David is so great, he's driven David out of the nation of Israel into, into the Philistines' nation for, for, for refuge sake. Yet he's not satisfied, he's coming after him. Verse 3, And he came to the sheepcoats, by the way, where was a cave, and Saul went in to cover his feet. And David, his men, remained in the sides of the cave. Now there's a cave here, and David's men are hiding in this cave. And King Saul is going to use this cave to be as delicate as I can for a portalette. Okay? He's going in there to, to answer nature's call. Verse 4, And the men of David said unto him, Behold, the day of which the Lord said unto thee, Behold, I will deliver thine enemy into thine hand, that thou mayest do to him as it shall seem good unto thee. Then David arose and cut off the skirt of Saul's robe privately. So Saul takes off his robe and sets it there to, to do what he has to do. And David, David sneaks over and takes his knife and cuts, the, cuts off a piece of Saul's robe. Verse 5, and it came to pass afterward that David's heart smote him because he had cut off Saul's skirt. David began to feel guilty because he did that to King Saul. His enemy, the man who's trying to kill him, who's, who's been trying to kill him for years, and David is, is disturbed in his heart because of the way he treated Saul verse 6. And he said unto his men, "The Lord forbid that I should do this thing unto my master, the Lord's anointed, to stretch forth mine hand against him, seeing he is the an anointed of the Lord." So David stayed his servants with these words and suffered them not to rise against Saul. But Saul rose up out of the cave and went on his way. David also arose afterward and went out of the cave and cried after Saul, saying, "My lord the king." And when Saul looked behind him, David stooped with his face to the earth and bowed himself And David said to Saul, Wherefore hearest thou men's words, saying, Behold, David seeketh thy hurt. Behold, this day thine eyes have seen how that the Lord had delivered thee uh, today into mine hand in the cave. And some bade me kill thee, but mine eyes spared thee. And I said, I will not put forth my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. Moreover, my father, see, yea, see the skirt of thy robe in my hand, for in that I cut off the skirt of thy robe and killed thee not. Uh, Know thou and see that there is neither evil nor transgression in mine hand, and I have not sinned against thee, Uh, yet thou huntest my soul to take it. Now look down at verse 16, please. And it came to pass, when David had made an end of speaking these words unto Saul, that Saul said, Is this thy voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. And he said to David, Thou art more righteous than I, for thou hast rewarded me good. Whereas I have rewarded thee evil. And thou hast showed this day how that thou hast dealt well, well with me, forasmuch as when the Lord had delivered me into thine hand, thou killest me not. For if a man find his enemy, will he let him go well away? Wherefore the Lord reward thee good, for that thou hast done unto me this day. And now, behold, I know well that thou shalt surely be king, and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in thine hand. Swear now, therefore, unto me by the Lord that thou wilt not cut off my seed after me, and that thou will not destroy my name out of my father's house. And David swear unto Saul. And Saul went home, but David and his men got them up unto the hold. Well, I guess that's the end of the story, right? It's all settled now. Wrong. It's not settled. Let's go to 1 Samuel chapter 26. 1 Samuel chapter 26, now, let's read verse 10 and 11. Now what's happened is Saul went home, but after he got home, uh, things started brewing in him again, and that bitterness that he was holding toward David uh, eventually uh, defiled him, as the scriptures tell us. And when we harbor bitterness against people, Uh, Sooner or later, it's going going to begin to boil over and, and it's going to destroy us and defile everyone around us. So Saul is going out after David again this time. Now he's out there again trying to kill him. So let's look at chapter 26. Look at verse 10 with me. David said, furthermore, as the Lord liveth, the Lord shall smite him, or his day shall come to die, or he shall descend into battle and perish. The Lord forbid that I should stretch forth mine hand against the Lord's anointed. But I pray thee, take thou now the spear that is, in, is at his bolster and the cruse of water and let us go. So, so here's the story. King Saul and his men are encamped and they're asleep. And David and his soldiers come upon Saul asleep. And they, they stood right next to him as he slept. And they, they could have killed him right, right easily. But David took his spear and he took his canteen and he left. Now let's look, um, if you would turn, let's look down at, at verse 21 together. Verse 21. Now David has, has gotten King Saul's spear and canteen and he gets up on the hillside and then he, he shouts out and wakes up all the soldiers and everyone's standing there and everyone's looking at David. And now David is going to address King Saul in verse 21. Uh, or he addresses King Saul and tells him... Um, I didn't kill you, this is another time. Now in verse 21 we read, Then said Saul, I have sinned. Return, my son David, for I will no more do thee harm, because my soul was precious in thine eyes this day. Behold, I have played the fool, and have erred exceedingly. And Saul went away again. This was the last time he sought David, but there's a reason for that. The reason that this was the last time he sought David was because not too many days hence... He died in battle. But David has given us the only sermon we will ever need on loving our enemies. Despite the opportunities he had to destroy his enemy, he would not do so. And to this I say, amen and praise the Lord. And that's our example in loving our enemies. Well, there's a third group we're to love. We're to love our brethren. In John thirteen thirty four, we read, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, uh, that ye also love one another. Now the truth of the matter is that some of the most difficult people to love are those of your own faith. I heard, uh, once heard someone say, The more people are like you, the more they will hurt you. And I'd have to say that in my years of experience, I would agree with that statement. Um, sadly, we often hurt and mistreat the people we love the most. And we tend to take them for granted and we fail to respect them the way that we should. And, and this is very displeasing to the Lord. God desires that His children would love one another with a deep and abiding love. And when we do so, we please the Lord. In Psalm 133, in verse 1, we read Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, that went down to the skirts of his garments. Our church and its work will never go forward as long as God's children are at odds with one another. And we we have to fix this in our in our lives. All across this country there are people in churches that won't be in the same room together. And, and if they have to come to church together, one will sit on this side of the auditorium, and the other will sit on that side, and they won't speak to each other. And this ought not be. We need to learn to get right with each other. Listen, don't, don't, don't come to church and, and, and offer your praise to God. If you're not right with your brothers, you're not right with God. Amen? Amen? Jesus said, how can you, how can you love your, your father whom you have not seen if you can't love your brother who you see? So we have to be careful about this. We need to learn to love our brothers. So we're, we have a duty to love. But then secondly tonight, and these other points won't take as long to get through. These just took a little while to develop. But the second thing tonight is we have a duty to labor. Now again, we're not referring to salvation by works. However, there are labors or works that God's children are expected to carry out. Let me share some with you. First of all, we're to labor for God's glory. We're to labor for God's glory. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, Paul writes, Wherefore, also we pray always for you, that our God would count you worthy of this calling, and fulfill all the good pleasure of of his goodness, and the work of faith with power, that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you, And ye in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, no man is an island unto himself. Almost everything we do or say will be seen and heard by someone else. And these things will either bring glory or shame to the name of God. Now, you may not want to accept this responsibility tonight. You might sit there and you might say, no, 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 I don't accept that. But that does not change the fact that each of us are obligated to live our lives in such a way as to glorify God in all that we do. And as the pastor often preaches, this includes the things that we would post on public network, network sites, such as, such as Facebook. We, we have a responsibility to, to, to conduct ourselves in such a manner that nothing that we say, nothing that we write, or nothing that we do reproaches the name of God. Now don't get me wrong, I'm not standing up here tonight and, and there's no halo over my head and there's no bright light about me. And, and I'm human, and I, I, I'm just like you, and I, I do things I shouldn't do, too. And believe me, before I stood up here to preach this message to you, I preached it to myself. But we have a responsibility to conduct ourselves in a way that, that, that brings honor to Christ. And you know, if, pardon my language, but if some idiot gets on Facebook and says something stupid, why do you have to respond in kind? Just delete it and go on with your life. But we're not to, we as God's children, and people know we're God's children, we are not to conduct ourselves in such a manner as this. Do you for one moment believe that God doesn't care about things like that? You think God is up there in heaven and he says, well, I'm not concerned with that. Oh, he is concerned with that. He's he's concerned with everything we do. And his word seems to imply that he does. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 29, we read, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. So let me ask you, do we bring glory to God's name when we behave so poorly? When we behave in such a manner, do, do we edify the, the, does, does these things edify younger Christians? Does it edify those that, that are, are weaker than us in Christ? Do they, do they minister grace unto those that will hear it? Does, it the, does those that will read what we write or hear what we say or see what we do, are they, are, are they ministered to in the grace of the Lord? Well, this is what we're to do. We're to labor for God's glory. Now, I'm not, trying to, I'm not trying to control anyone's life tonight. You, you, you live your life the way you want to live your life, but I'm warning you, you have to face God for it. You don't get a free ride here. You will face the Lord. I'm trying to admonish you tonight. I'm trying to admonish you to glorify God in everything you do. This is our duty. But then secondly, it's uh, under our duty to labor. We're to labor for God's blessings. In Philippians chapter 3, Paul writes, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Paul says that he presses toward the mark. In other words, he pushes forward through life's difficulties and failures. And this implies labor, it implies work. And he does this, he says, for the prize. He does it for the blessings that can be gained in this life when we live our lives for God's glory. I do not say tonight that we should labor only for blessings. However, I want all that God has for me. I, I don't want to leave anything God has for me on the, on the roadside. I want everything he has for me. I want the best for my family. I want the best for, for, for my church. And so I labor that God might bless me. My father would reward me for my obedience and hard work when I was growing up. Uh, for all the work I did, my father would give us an allowance and, and he, would, he would reward us for our work. And so we should labor in this life to receive the things that God has in store for us. Uh, both in eternity and in this life, so we labor uh, for for blessings, and then th- thirdly, let us see we labor for the gospel's sake. In Matthew nine, uh, we read, "Then said Jesus unto his, his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest." Now God could have chosen any means. He desired to spread the gospel around this world. But he has chosen you and I. It is our duty to preach the gospel to every person we meet. In Mark chapter 16, verse 15, we read, And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Go ye, he said, This is not only a command to the church as a whole, but it is a command to the church in its parts. Each one of us, you and I, we are to labor for the furtherance of the gospel message. So we see tonight that we have a duty to love. We have a duty to labor. But then thirdly tonight, I want you to see that we have a duty to lead. In Acts chapter 8, We read from verses 30 and 31. And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Esaias and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I, except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. All children have one thing in common. All children born have one thing in common. You know what that is? They don't know anything. Babies are dumb. They are. They're born dumb. They don't know anything. They can't change their diaper. They can't feed themselves. They can't take a bath. They don't know how to do anything. They must be taught everything. Someone has to lead them. Now, with the last few minutes that I have this evening, allow me to share some thoughts with you. Concerning our duty as leaders. Letter A, we are to lead the lost to the light. You and I tonight are to be, are to be leaders. And one of the things we are to do is lead the lost to the light. In First Peter 2.9 we read, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. I said we are to lead the lost to the light. Just as a ship upon a stormy sea can navigate to calm waters by following the lights on shore, so can you and I help to lead the lost to the light that is Christ. And this is done when we allow the light to shine through us. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul tells us that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among, among whom ye shine as lights in the world. When you and I are obedient children of the Lord, when we walk worthy, when we live our life in such a way that that we glorify God and we allow, we allow the Holy Spirit to guide us and lead us, we become living lights of the gospel. And, and a dark world is, is, is illuminated, and, and the lost are led to the light of Christ when you and I take the leadership that we should in our lives and when we accept the duty to lead. So we are to lead the lost to the light. But then secondly... We are to lead the novice into knowledge. We are to lead the novice into knowledge. In Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, we read, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. It is our duty to teach those around us the things that God has taught us. Now there are two verses here that will say all that needs to be said about this leading the novice into knowledge. Second Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15, Paul states, Study to show thyself approved unto God a workman that needeth not to be ashamed rightly dividing the word of truth we are to study we are to be students of the word of God this should be this should be one of the focus points of our life i'm i i strongly fear that the average christian in america only opens his bible when he comes to church aside from that oh if there's some if there's some disaster happens if you know, if some problem comes up, they turn to the scripture for comfort. But I'm afraid that the average Christian spends little to no time studying the word of God. How are we going to educate, how are we going to teach those around us unless we ourselves know the truth? But then in Second Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2, Paul states, "...in the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men." who shall be able to teach others also. Listen, one of the biggest reasons that we should avail ourselves to the preaching and teaching of the Word of God is so that we can be taught. What does the pastor do? He studies, he, he, he prays, he meditates, and he takes, he takes what the Lord has taught him, and he teaches it to other men who shall be able to teach others also. He teaches it to you fathers when you come to church, and you go home and teach it to your children. He teaches it to to us uh, men in the church who our children are grown, but he teaches us truth. And then we take that truth out into the community and we share it with other people. We're to lead the novice into knowledge. That's our job. We're, We're to be leaders in the matter of teaching the word of God. What more needs to be said? We may not do what God says, but he has said that we are to lead men into knowledge of him. So we need to become leaders in this area of studying and knowing the word of God that we might teach others. And then lastly tonight, we are to lead the fallen into fellowship. We are to lead the fallen into fellowship. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted Cain asked a very poignant question he asked the Lord am I my brother's keeper well Matthew Henry wrote a very good response to this in his commentary notes allow me to read his commentary notes to you he writes here note a charitable concern for our brethren as their keepers is a great duty which is strictly required of us But is generally neglected by us. Those who are unconcerned in the affairs of their brethren and take no care when they have opportunity to prevent their hurt in their bodies, goods, or good name, especially in their souls, do in effect speak Cain's language. Am I my brother's keeper? Am I your keeper tonight? And I must answer, yes, I am. And this all comes back to accountability. I make myself accountable to you. And I hold each of you accountable for your own actions. This is what this is all about. We're to make ourselves accountable to one another. One of the first things I did when Pastor Smith took his office as pastor, I went in and I sat there and I told him, I said, Pastor, I want you, if you ever see me or hear me doing anything I shouldn't be doing, I, I, I want you to call me in your office and set me straight on it. I told him, I am making myself accountable to you. Because if we don't hold each other accountable then we're going to begin to do some things that don't please the Lord. We're not going to walk in ways that glorify God. So we're to hold each other accountable. Think about your body for a moment. When one part of your body hurts, the whole body hurts, doesn't it? You know, the older I get, when I get a cold, I mean, it's like a major breakdown. My toes hurt. Your hair hurts. (gasps) Right? When you're young, you don't feel that too much. But when you get older, you you begin to feel it. Your whole body hurts. And every part of the body labors together to help the part that's hurting. And that's exactly the way the church should be. When one part of the body hurts, the whole body should hurt. And the whole body should come together together to help that one part that needs to be healed. And we hold each other accountable. I don't, I'm not saying we stick our nose in each other's business. And I'm not saying we use occasion to gossip. But if you observe someone and, 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 and they're doing something and you know that they shouldn't be doing that, go to them quietly and privately and tell them I love you and this shouldn't be going on. You say, well, they'll get offended. Well, Jesus said that a brother, that a, uh, that a brother uh, offended is harder to be won than a strong city. But we are to come to one another and we're to help each other. Once again, not be busybodies, not be nosy, not stick in our nose where it doesn't belong. But as my body tends to each part of itself, we as a church are to do the same for one another. We're to love one another. We, 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 we have a duty to love. We, we have a duty to labor. And we have a duty to lead. We have many other duties, but time is my enemy tonight. But I'm supposed to love my enemy, so I've got to love time. <laughs> Let us pray. Father, we do come before you now, and we ask your blessings upon us. And uh, certainly, Lord, I didn't, I didn't have time to develop each of these points and I pray, Father, I wouldn't have said anything tonight that would have offended anyone. But, Lord, I do pray that your word would have been boldly preached tonight and that, and that the truth would have been given. And I pray that we would receive that truth as your children, that we would receive the preaching as we would the correction of a father. Help us, each, each of us tonight, Lord, help us to do the things we should do to fulfill our duties as your children, And help us to walk worthy of you. Thank you for this time. Thank you for all that are here. I pray you'd bless it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right.